Hey, Warriors, this is Amy. And I'm Sarah. We are the hosts of The Unqualified Therapist. We are not here to give you advice. We are here to tell you our stories, share your stories, and bring on the professionals from time to time. Mental health is complicated, and we know that from our personal experience. We believe in professional therapy. Both Sarah and I use that on our own healing journeys. But we also know it isn't one size fits all. The stigma surrounding mental illness can make us feel alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. And you're listening to The Unqualified Therapist Sync. to another episode of the Unqualified Therapist. We have our first guest in a very long time on Zencaster. So she's not here with us and we are so excited. Yes, but we're really pumped that she's not here because we love her so much. <laughs> we, we, All three of us talk about making that happen and at some point we will. Yes. Because Sarah and I are going to have like Good Morning America money that yes. we can just like fly The stars, out. the moons, the suns, and the money need to align. And then and that, we're and there. that's it. Right. That's it. No, biggie. no biggie. No biggie. <laughs> that's it. So we have our dear friend Kelsey with us who is over on the West, West Coast. Coast. West side. <laughs> <laughs> You, you all have met her before. Yes. If you rewind, if you are an OG with us, mm-hmm. then you um listen to our empath episode. Yeah. Uh, Kelsey is a very strong empath and a beautiful person at that. Yes. And she helped us understand our own paths yes. as empaths yes. because did. we didn't do any research of our own. We and were so like, wait, huh? We're why like, we? why oh, do we? why we're so messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So our very emotionally intelligent and beautiful friend, Kelsey, is here with us today. Hi, Kelsey. Hi. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited to be doing this again. It's always so yeah. much fun to be able to do things like this with people who have the same views and are just out there trying to help people. Yeah. And I'm ourselves. so happy. <laughs> yes, yes. Right. <laughs> right. We're just so happy that um, you are... Uh, willing to share your story because I know that this is a very uh, difficult topic to talk about. And and so today we have um, asked Kelsey if she would be willing to share with us her experiences um, surrounding d- domestic violence. Um, this is an important conversation all year long. Right now, though, it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month for October. It yes. is breast cancer and domestic violence. Yes. They, they share the month. They do. Uh, we only have 12 months. Around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's so many fucked up things that like, yeah. we have to double up. Sometimes triple. Uh, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So this is a story that Sarah and I don't know specifics of. So I am interested to hear, and I'm just really grateful that she's opening up and sharing such vulnerable things with everyone because we know from sharing our stories and hearing back from you that every there's so many people out there quietly suffering with the same situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So folks, as we say with all of our stories, you're not alone. And um, you have an ally in Kelsey. And 
We are very thankful uh, for your time. So, Kels, you want to dive in? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. (laughs) Let's just start there. Let's start with the basics. The basics. Let's ease on in. So, uh, I'm, I'm Kelsey. Um, I am 31 years old and I feel like I'm 130. I, uh, (laughs) I have lived many, many lives and many lives just in this life. So, um, you know, with that, with our whole human experience comes a lot of trials and tribulations and challenges that we have to go through. And I'm a firm believer is before we came here, we signed up for this for a reason. And all of those reasons lead mm-hmm. us to our life purpose of figuring out why we're supposed to be here, what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And it's not the corporate America job, like, sorry to anyone who does that, but yeah. there's also a life purpose behind <laughs> what you do for your money right. and also what you do to be a better human and to create better humans on this planet because we're all messed up right now. We're all messed up. Mm, And the longer this goes on without any healing and people knowing where to find the healing or even knowing that healing is possible, the darker and darker and darker we all become, which leads our world to be a very dark place. So we still need people to be those lights and those people who stood up to the darkness and healed through it in order to show other people or guide, help, assist, sit next to other people who are doing it for themselves as well. Cause it's a big deal. It's easy to, well, it's not easy, but it's, it's easier to just sit in the pain and just deal with that with maybe like hmm. masking it with outside things, whatever that may be, vices, addictions, but at the bottom line, all busyness. of that's just a busyness. <laughs> yes. Staying so busy that you can't allow yeah. yourself to think or feel anything because you know, that's one of the things mm-hmm. I do as well. And, but through that, the longer you do that, that stuff doesn't go away. Just like childhood trauma, right. all that stuff stays and stays and stays. And so there's, mm-hmm. make, you make a decision when something happens to you in your life that one shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't, bad things shouldn't happen to people. It's, just, it's not the way life's mm-hmm. supposed to go when you think of this perfect life. But when something does happen, which is out of your control, how do you, how do you move forward with that? How do you carry on with your life with that added part of you that may be missing or severely damaged where you lose who you are as a person and you don't know and you're completely lost. And when you're lost on the inside, it's a lot harder than being lost, you know, in a grocery store or somewhere else. You just, you don't feel Mm -hmm. like yourself inside your own body and you can make that decision to just stay there and be like, okay, well, I'm comfortable in this pain. I'm going to hold on to it. I know how to deal with it. I'm just going to stay here because I know how to work this. The challenge is stepping Mm -hmm, up and doing the work and healing and crying through it, whether that's punching a wall, I've done it, I've kicked things. Like it's just whatever you need to do to be able to release all of that from your body because you're never going to be able to move forward. You're never going to be able to live the life you deserve to live if you're still stuck in the past because you're holding on to all that trauma. And so, um, you know, that kind of leads me to into I've had a very traumatic life. There's trauma on top, trauma on top, trauma on top, trauma. I'm like, I would say I'm a pro mm-hmm. at it, but like no one wants to brag about that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one wants mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, there's just these different layers. And the more trauma you experience, the harder and harder it is to find yourself. But then there's specific people who are able to heal through that and at least try to heal through it, right? And so... Mm-hmm. 
I've done a lot of healing through uh, when I was 23. I got sober from a lifelong or pretty much a lifelong addiction of drugs and alcohol. And then when I a few years into that, about eight years completely clean off of like hard drugs like meth, heroin, all of those. And then I learned that AA wasn't really for me, didn't make me feel okay anymore. And I I drink and I I do other things and I feel okay with that because that's my truth and my story. And it may not be everybody Mm -hmm. else's, but when I, you know, I got sober, I was in treatment and then I started working in a recovery home and I met someone. And, you know, when you get Mm. sober, you're a pretty broken person. You don't know who you are. You've masked everything in your life. You've become this chameleon. You don't know what you like. You don't know anything like that. And then you know that you're supposed to be with someone. Like most people know they're not supposed to walk this life alone. And having somebody is either validating, makes you feel better, makes you feel whole when you can't make yourself feel whole by your alone, which you, which is the goal. We want to feel whole without having somebody else. They're supposed Mm -hmm. to walk with you, not carry you the whole way. And, right, right. Mm-hmm. um, so I, I ended up meeting, I, you know, and I dated a couple people I was or in my early sobriety, but I ended up meeting a guy and he was working at the same treatment center I was with. So we were all around the same group of friends, everything. And we were in very small towns. So there's really not that many to pick from, just to be honest. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I didn't know who I was either. And there was this guy who I think for lack of a better way to put it, was trained into knowing people who were broken, right? Those people who find you who, when you're the most broken and they're like, I'm going to pretend to heal this person. I'm going to be this person that I know this broken person Mm -hmm. wants because they are the most manipulative and um, distorted people with the way that they think. Whereas in they will look for every type of trauma in your life, relate to it, and then make you feel like they would never do that to you. And it's a specific technique Hmm. that I've come to find out that some people carry and use in relationships, whether it be in a relationship, romantical, friendship, a work environment, you know, these, these types Mm -hmm. of people are, are everywhere. And at the time, what kind of, what kind of, that's abuse for sure. Oh, it's so you can't. It's, I want to use the word narcissist, but you can't, the hard part with the word narcissist is that you can't call someone that unless they have been clinically diagnosed. Now, the trick with that is, is that narcissists are the hardest mental illness to yes. treat for a therapist yeah. because yes, they, are. they truly believe there they is nothing the wrong with them. They are so manipulative mm-hmm. that they have manipulated their own brain into thinking that everything that they believe about themselves is yeah. so true that no one could ever prove them wrong. And it's the scariest yep, type right. of person to be around because they don't tell you that mm-hmm. off the bat. Sure is. The secret. They don't even know it about right. themselves. They have no idea right. that they're a narcissist. No, they they have, and even if they do know, they're never ever going to say, nope. "I have narcissistic personality yeah. disorder." Because in their mind, they're the not- shining, amazing person that who couldn't love mm-hmm. them, who couldn't want to be with them. They are the best. They are God's gift to the world, and right. they truly believe that there is no harm. There is they do no harm. There's they cannot do anything wrong. And yeah. and and when I look back, I, I, I no, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, I think it's important for our listeners to know as well that when you meet somebody with that diagnosis, even if he doesn't have the actual diagnosis, even if it's undiagnosed, um, that they are also uh, one of the most charismatic people you'll meet. When Absolutely. you meet somebody with that uh, that kind of um, mm-hmm. mental illness, they are I think it's so a fun to hang out with. Personality at disorder. First, a personality anyways, disorder, yeah. yes. 
Yeah. Uh, so fun to hang out with. They're funny. They're charismatic. They can make you feel amazing about yourself at first. Um, and I don't know if this was the case with your actual, with your relationship, um, with, let's, let's give him a name. What do we want to call him? It's hard Dick. when you want to call, yeah, let's, Dick. I no, mean, that is a name. a name. Let's give him a name. That is a name, Richard. <laughs> okay, Dick. Let's call him Richard. We know what Richard okay, means. Richard, Richard, and we all Richard. know what that means. We all know what yes. Richard means. So, yeah, it, yes. you can let us know how that was in the beginning with Richard, yeah. but um, I do, you know, I have met two people, one who was actually diagnosed and one who is undiagnosed, but I can tell you with I mean, I know I'm unqualified, but I do actually have my degree in psychology that this person absolutely 100% has narcissistic personality disorder. Um, and they are very charismatic and they can be fun and funny and hilarious and a and great time to hang like out with. they might be like the most manipulative people you'll ever meet in ever. Your life, though. Ever. And the, the scarier part, the scarier part with that is if you want to tie in back to the empath is that narcissists look for empaths. So if you're an empath, yes, it's like you're do. a freaking magnet, right? Because they can tell that mm-hmm. you feel everything and that you are going to show up. And then on top of that, I'm a cancer. I care about people. I put people first Mm -hmm. all the time. So all of these character traits that I hold that I am, and then I would never trade because it makes me who I am and it makes me a damn good person. It allowed Mm -hmm. me to be a victim to, I'm it's emotional abuse. It's, you know, and that's where Mm -hmm. domestic violence comes in is most people hear domestic violence and they think that it's, it's bruises. It's, marks on the hands, the wrists, yes, the arms. Right. And it's not, it's not just that it's mm-hmm. so, 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 so much more. And if I'm being honest from somebody who's experienced both multiple times in her lifetime, the emotional abuse is way worse than any bruises fade, bruises fade. Right. And the thing is, is that even though they fade, they're visible. So someone who really wants to control you and has mm-hmm. this persona of a great person and that they would never do anything wrong because they're amazing. They're not going to let people know. They don't want to leave any chance. So yeah. then what they, if they yeah. can't attack your body, they attack your brain. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. the, that's the harder part about it, you know? And, right. um, so when you, when we, when we so first, tell- go ahead. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think you were doing exactly what I was asking. I just wanted to know, I wanted to hear about the beginning of the relationship. Yeah, that's all. I was, we were on the same wavelength there. So the, the beginning, <laughs> of it, you know, it was like, um, it was like when you, like, I didn't grow up with parents either. So I never grew up with this, like, idea of what, like, a relationship should look like. In my growing up, I just dated, like, it's like, oh, hey, oh, you wear pants, I wear pants too. Let's date. You know, we're together. Um, <laughs> I just, like, I pick you. We're going to be boyfriend and girlfriend, you know? And, and I just never really cared. Yeah. I was just like, I just need somebody to be my boyfriend. That's what we do, right? We have boyfriends. <laughs> and right. then in, and then right. when I got into my addiction, that's where a lot of the other, like, you know, near, high all the time and all these things are happening. You don't realize them as really abuse because you're currently too busy abusing yourself. Um, and right. you know, these things happen there, but I was getting high. So then when I got sober and it's like, they put this idea in your head where you get sober and your whole life is just going to be unicorns and rainbows and puppy shit and gold. Like it's yeah, not, yeah. you know, but yeah. they make you think that. <laughs> and <laughs> Well, we need money for the good morning America. So yeah, um, yes. <laughs> yes. 
so um you know and and so you have this false idea of like what your life is supposed to be i got sober i'm gonna get all of the abundance and the joys and everything i never got i'm gonna get now because i did this one thing this one thing in my life right (laughs) in the moment and so when we first met it was like um i'm gonna i've learned now that the term is called love bombing And what that means is that Mm -hmm. it's like you met this person. I mean, we met and it was just like automatic, just like, I'm so in love with you. You're the most amazing person. I've never want to be with somebody else besides you. And like this person didn't even know me, but, and I didn't know them. But at the same time, it was like, oh my God, no one's loved me like this. This person loves me. Like, oh, they see me. Like they love me for me. I'm, you know, I, I wasn't at my best at that time. Like I was, I was overweight for my body size because I was miserable and I was getting sober and I wasn't working out. I wasn't doing any of those things. And, and, you know, and, and I, somebody was paying me attention and I was like, what? That's so weird, you know? And then because of that, I got swooped. It's like a tidal wave. Like it just comes in and it swoops you away. And all of a sudden you're just like in this relationship that's three days old, that is similar to some relationship that's four years old. And not that timelines really matter when you're in a relationship but there's no reason for you to be in a relation with knowing someone and talking to someone for a week. And you guys are already in love, quote unquote, in love. Yeah. Yeah. And, but for somebody that was so broken and a child of, you know, of taking care of myself and never being shown love or compassion and, and, and just being the person that gave all the love and compassion, I was finally getting it back. And when you circle back, this Mm -hmm. person knew me this about me because in the rooms of AA, you go into meetings and you share Oh my goodness. You share about yourself in there. Um, and a lot of the times with it's, you're sharing traumas and you're trauma Mm -hmm. bonding over sharing those traumas. You're not sticking in the solution. You're talking about how it was, the things that broke you, what led you to do what you did, what hurt you so bad that you had to mask yourself Mm -hmm. with drugs. And so these people, they learned, they hurt, you know, it's not like they, looked at your MySpace and knew about the childhood drama you had when you were four. They listened. Right. And when I look back, I'm like, I wonder how long this was going, you know? And then because I felt so comfortable, I started divulging everything too. Like everything, every little thing that was a trigger for me, every little thing that made me feel less than. And I gave this person all of that information. Yeah. Now turn around. I I move in. Oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I just have a question about AA and because my only experience with AA is just what I've seen on TV. And, and so that's not experience at all. (laughs) So, um, is there, is there, I, I, I saw on one program that I was watching that there's like a rule against dating. Is it, is it that you can't, yeah. that you shouldn't date that first year that you're sober or that you just shouldn't date people that are in the program or how does that work? Because I just, just so I can have a, no, it's a great question. So there's, um, in AA, like in general, like just the 12 steps in the book, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, it is stated that you should take the first year of sobriety about yourself, not to date anybody, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a book written by some dude named Bill far away, you know, and some white guy bill, some white guy bill. Um, and, (laughs) and, you know, and that, and that program, it saves lives and it helps people and stuff. And it's like that, but then when you go into treatment, these treatment centers that they've created, which also say, um, save lives. I'm not, you know, this is not to knock any type of treatment. I truly believe that that is important for people who need it at that time. And it did save my life. You were working there or you were, were you working Um, there or were you a, a patient? I did take a first year off. 
I didn't date anybody, but I was also in a treatment center that you weren't even allowed to talk to boys. <laughs> like you would oh, get in okay, trouble. Okay. You would oh, have wow. to wear a sign that said like, I'm not allowed to talk to boys or something like that. Like also traumatizing, Wait. but that's. <laughs> Why does that feel very that handmaid's feels tale? Very handmaid's tale and traumatizing. <laughs> well, you guys, if you want to do another one of these on that part, I, I am, I have all of that information as well. Ooh, my opinion fuck. on that. So, um, I was, I didn't date for that first year of sobriety. I didn't even talk to boys. I looked at them and you know what? I worked at like a restaurant and I flirted with them, but like, you know, I was living in a home where I had to follow a certain set of rules. Otherwise I would get kicked out. Okay. And then, so the point where I met him, we were both working at a treatment center. And at that point, they okay, don't have, okay. you're working there. There's no rules for you. They're too busy working yeah. on the rules for the people who are in there. But right, I, see. Um, I did take that year off. I did do that. And, um, and, but it was like, as soon as that year was up, I was like, okay, I followed the rules, you know, like, um, and actually <laughs> I didn't actually, I did. I, I met somebody, somebody different. And that was like more nine months, but we'll call it a year for all intents and purposes. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but then, so when we, so we ended up moving in together really quickly too. So like, like all, I lost, he slowly start moved me into his house in um, a city farther away from where all my friends were, would give me grief mm-hmm. about hanging out with my friends. Why wasn't I spending all my time with him? Or if I would invite him to go do something with my friends, he would, something would come up that day and then I wouldn't be able to go because I'd have to stay with him. But it was such a new relationship and he was so in love with me and I was being loved that I didn't realize this, what was happening. The, the soul pull right. you away from your life so that you're stuck, you know? And yeah. then, um, he, one night he was like, uh, told me, like said something along the lines of like, you know, if I was going to have a kid, it would be with you. I wouldn't want to have a baby with anybody but you. And in my head, I'm like, I can't have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know well, I have a kid now, but I wasn't at that time. I was, <laughs> like, I was like, I, I, you know, I can't have kids. It's fine, you know, but to right. appease him, you know, cause I didn't want to make him mad at me, you know, like that there was something wrong with me. Like I was like, whatever, right. you know? And, and I was just so young, so, so young. And, uh, so yeah. we ended up being only knowing each other really for two months and boom, I'm pregnant. And, oh my goodness. And because I was like, when I look back at it, he was trying to give me a facade of the life that I always wanted. I wanted a family. I wanted mm-hmm. a kid. I wanted to grow. Yeah. I wanted the house. I wanted the, dog the fence all the things that I didn't have that I had seen in other places that I thought I that I was like I want these things that's what everybody else has so I want them mm-hmm. and right. then within two months we were moved into his parents house in a completely different city two hours away from where we were currently living so not only was I away from everybody I knew but I was also at his parents house with him living with his family that I didn't know very well um, I sat, I got a job down in the town in Phoenix. I was working and, but other than working, I was always home and I was pregnant. I was just like so miserable. I was the most miserable pregnant person ever. I hated it. I hated being pregnant. I was such a bitch all the I time. I hated being pregnant. Yeah. I just, I, it did not my body like so grateful, but like my body just didn't. Right. And you know, and you're having all those hormones and everything and you're trying to control yeah. like yeah. your emotions and you don't know what's going on. And I was so isolated mm-hmm. and so alone and none of my friends were around. So, and what were his, what were his parents like? And, and what did parents, they think about the fact that like they just his parents are amazing. Person. I don't honestly, I can't tell okay. you what they thought about the fact that he just, moved I wasn't a part of those conversations of like but they I don't were know good if it to was, you 
Yes. And they, and they still are. They're, they're amazing and amazing people. Um, you know, and that's something that I had to like separate too after everything happened was that these, that's not, it was not their fault. It was not. And, you know, as parents, we want to take the blame for the things that our children end up doing. And, Mm -hmm. and we can't do that because we do the best we can to raise them. And like, that we at some point we're adults, we make our own decisions. It's not a parent's fault. It's not. And, um, right. And they didn't do anything wrong. They did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, they were great the whole time I was living there. You know, like I was working. They go to bed early. They're hardworking people. Like it was just like kind of like cohabitating. I st- I stayed in the bedroom. I was not even just in a house. It was most likely just, or it was most of the time just in a bedroom for the whole part of my pregnancy mm-hmm. if I wasn't at work. And um, then the little little things started happening when I tried to make friends or go do something or get out of the house or like he started calling me fat all the time, knowing that. I'm yes, I'm pregnant, but I also have a history of eating disorders and, and body dysmorphia Mm -hmm. and the whole gaining weight part of the pregnancy was really hard on me because the day I found out my pregnancy was the day that I got to like, at the time my goal weight. So it was like, none of this was planned. And I was working so hard to like feel good in my body. And then I was pregnant. And then the person that's supposed to be like, you're so beautiful, you're glowing, like you're growing our child, like that support. It wasn't there. I got called fat. I got called a whale. I, you know, and like, and not to say he did, and I don't want to take away because there were good things like he can bring home like some, some present or anything. But when I look back at that, it was like to keep the consistency of like the abuse, yeah. but also a front of like, I'm a good person. I, I treat right. you well. I take care of you. I do all of this, which is like, you know, I've taken mm-hmm. care of myself my whole life. Like, yeah, we were living at the parents' house, but at the same time, like I had a job, I got my own car. Like it wasn't like that, but he wanted it to be like that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that whole pregnancy was just awful. Like I didn't, I basically was alone through it with somebody berating and putting me down the whole time. So I already didn't feel good about myself and that's not the way you want to enter into motherhood. Then even the labor and mm-hmm. delivery, it was like, I did it by myself. Like he fell asleep. Like he kept going outside. Like, and it was aren't my late. And he was there partially. Like I'm not, you know, I try not to like disregard everything, but like when you amount that all the bad stuff to the good stuff, it's like, you try and still be like, Oh, there's yeah. like, and I'm doing it right now. Right. I'm feeling bad. See this, this you is are. part of it. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling bad because I'm telling my story because mm-hmm. it, it's that, it's that emotional abuse that even three years later is still there. Um, and we'll get, we'll get still to there. That, yeah. I was back. thinking that when you were talking, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm getting you better at catching myself. <laughs> I'm getting but better you know, at catching that's, myself. That's yeah. Like I'm so proud of you for doing that right now. I mm-hmm. sometimes do the same thing and I hear other people do the same mm-hmm. thing and we don't talk about that. No, yeah, that is not something no. that's talked about, but, but there is that like where you go back and you're like, well, but. But they did A, B, and But that's a huge part of an, of an abusive relationship sure. too, mm-hmm. like you were saying, because they have to, because you're going to get, you're going to get a breaking point. And so yeah. they try to keep you just, just before that breaking point, or you hit the breaking point and, they and then you they pull you back a bit, back with in. With that love bombing. <laughs> exactly. With love bombing. And it is, it is an actual cycle. It's love bombing and abuse. And it's like this, this whole Continuous. up and down thing that happens. Yeah. All the way around. I'm glad you brought that up because that is something that people don't talk about all the time is this like where we make excuses as we tell our story. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And I was doing it for a good minute and a half before I realized it, which is good now, you know, like now it's all, it's all a practice, right? Like we're healing. I'm not healed. I will never be healed completely, but it's a continuous practice to continue healing through each day. So those are little things where before I probably could have gone this whole time doing stuff like that and not being aware of it because it just becomes my natural way of talking about things because I could only talk about so Mm -hmm. much. Um, because yes. it's also shameful, right? We hold the shame, like, oh, I'm letting Absolutely. you know, these things are happening right. to me. I can't let my friends know. I can't let them see that this is happening. Like, it's a secret. It's a shame, 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 guilt. I can't let right. well, also that you'll be blamed. Yeah, Which it's my fault. A lot. Why don't you just leave him? It's, it's your like, fault. It's number one Why question. Mm-hmm. Number one question. Yep. And, and, and it's the most country. annoying. You could have left. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, I, it, cause people and just, anyone they that's don't in that understand. situation would never say that to someone because they don't get it. And that's, right. and that's part of it too, of no. like understanding that other people, unless they've actually been through it and even not, and not even not like in your exact situation, but in a way, as long as they haven't felt that type of feeling, they're not going to get it at all. And, and, right. and being okay with that. So when you tell your story or when you talk about something, it's more of like just to share it and be like, some people are going to understand, some people are not going to, and that's okay. And actually, I'm so happy mm-hmm. that you don't understand. You are so blessed and I'm so right. grateful that you yes. did not have to be able to understand what I'm saying right now. And mm-hmm. right. so, you know, we had a pretty traumatic delivery, um, went back home to his parents' house. Uh, the whole time we were there, we were saving money to buy a house. Um, let's go on like the first part of the six weeks. Like he, um, you know, my, my son was very colic. He cried all the time. It was very hard. I had no idea what I was doing. I had postpartum depression, anxiety, all of these things. And when, uh, my son would scream instead of, you know, his glorified sperm donor, um, you're getting up to help or to be like, let me give you a second or, you know, like anything, like, what can I do? I got screamed at like it was my fault that the baby was crying and waking him up. Oh my gosh. So on top of being a new mom, exhausted, not being able to make my own child stop crying, which was a shame and guilt situation for me as it was, then I'm being screamed at like it's my fault that the baby's crying. And then taking that on that it's my fault. I'm a piece of shit because I can't calm the baby down. I can't make him stop crying. I'm a bad mom over and over and over and over again. And, and everything, you know, and it was like, okay, like whatever. All right. We're getting through it. Like, I don't know how to do this. Like, uh, just very confused. And then we end up getting a house and he went and he took the money and he picked out the house and showed it to me and then told me that we already got it. So I didn't even get to, like really be a part of that. Oh it was gosh. just half my money, but like he went and made the decisions. I had already wow. gotten as a realtor. That was one of my dear friends that then in fact got kind of screwed over in it, which was not to my fault. I just had no control over situations. And in my head, I'm like, okay, you know, all we need is to move into our own place and we won't fight as much. We won't be on top of each other. Things will get better. Number one thing I wish I didn't have to ever say, things will get better. Mm-hmm. Things will get better. Yeah. And you're waiting for it and you're almost like convincing yourself because deep down, you know, that they're not, you know, this, but you're like, I have to keep doing this because in my head too, on the other end of it, it wasn't just leaving a a boyfriend. I have a child with this person and I didn't have parents. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I had, uh, I'm going to call it this. I don't believe in this term. I actually hate this term, but it's what we use is a broken home. Now that I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, a single mom. I don't like that term anymore. Nothing's missing from my child's life. 
I, we, I'm two people. Mm -hmm. I am a full home. We are not broken. Um, but at the time that's what it felt like. Right. So I was like, okay, like I can't, I have to make this work. I have to make this work. I can't make him. I did not want him to have any type of life that I had. Uh, My job is to make sure that he didn't. And so that was another part that tied into everything on my end that was completely separate was that I I needed to make this work. And if I didn't, then I'm the failure. And I'm not just a failure to myself, but I'm a failure to my child as a mother. And so we move in together and things get worse because there's no one else around. There's no one else around. Mm. And so there's no buffer. Nobody. There's no buffers. There's no one. We're in our own house. We're in a housing complex. We're just, it's us and our son. And, you know, he's gone most of the time. I I say this all the time. When I became a single mom, I didn't become a single mom. I was always a single mom. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, he, I had started, I had to leave my job working at the recovery center because I just couldn't do it anymore. I was miserable and I just couldn't do it anymore. And I started bartending at night because I figured, okay, well, if I'm at night, then I can still take care of my son during the day. I can make some money. And partially, I think, Underneath everything, I knew that I needed to have fast cash and I needed cash somewhere. I, a survival mm-hmm. mode of not even being forefront yes. of my mind, but survival mode. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so, but he didn't like that because then I was a bartender. He told me that yeah. he wanted my hair blonde. I dyed my hair blonde. He didn't like that because it made me a blonde. He didn't <laughs> like when I started losing weight. He didn't like that. When I found yoga, I found myself and mm-hmm. he didn't like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. When I left to go do yeah. yoga, it was a huge fight. I was a shitty person. I can't believe you're leaving your son to go do something for yourself. He would give me crap. He would watch him, but he would give me crap about it. Um, and then like there'd be nights where we were on the stairs and he would just like scream at me about, you're just a stupid Scottsdale blonde bitch. You're everything I thought I hated about women, blah, 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 all this stuff. But it was like, I was be, I was finding myself in this. So I'm finding myself. I'm doing things that make me happy. I'm fighting postpartum depression, fighting my anxiety and being a new mom. And I found something that made me happy, right? Your partner is supposed to provide you with the support and be happy about that. I had the exact opposite. I got made to feel like shit about it. I was choosing myself over our family is, I believe, the correct term that was used a lot. Jeez. And... Um, you know, and then, so all these things started. How do you take care of a family if yeah. you don't take care of yourself? Yeah. Right. And you couldn't. And I knew that. And that's what, so I was like, you know, feeling empowered. I was like, okay, I'm feeling better. I'm finding this community of yoga people. And it wasn't even that. It was that I wasn't at home doing everything that he wanted me to do to himself. To mm-hmm. himself. I was sharing myself with other people, which was not okay. Mm-hmm. And... And then, so, and then with all of that, things started getting worse, but because I was doing the work, I was becoming more aware of what was happening. So there would be right. nights where this is the part where I think people don't talk too much about it. And because we focus so much on the domestic violence of the physical abuse, but the emotional abuse is a lot of the nights where, you know, I started to not like him. I started to hate him. I started to resent him, mm-hmm. but yeah. I didn't know how to leave. I didn't know how I didn't have money like that. I was a bartender. He had money, right? Mm-hmm. And I have a child and I have to protect my child. So how do I protect my child? And that's by making sure that he stays safe and I stay in this house because I didn't want him to be able to get to my child. And that meant I needed to take right. it. 
in my head at that time. I was like, this is the only solution. I just have to be stronger. I have to make sure that nothing happens to my child. He is the only thing that matters. And um, there'd be nights where I would, you know, it's it's a form of also when you want to tie into it that people don't recognize either is this is a form of sexual abuse. It's, it's a form of, you know, maybe yeah. it's not quote unquote, it's not like rape, but it is sexual abuse where you continue to say no because I was disgusted. No, it's by definitely him. rape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I don't know. I know I haven't dived through this is like the first time I'm talking about this part because I haven't dived too much into this. No. I've just kind of like gotten the terms and read about it a little bit. But it'd be mm-hmm. like the you saying no, I don't want to. And I, mine was usually like, I'm so yeah. tired, I just want to go to sleep, you know, like just uh, just let me go to sleep. And instead he would scream at me until I was locked in a bathroom, bawling my eyes out, crying. And then it would stop and he would come back and he'd I'm so sorry. I won't do that anymore. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I forgive Mm -hmm. me. I'm so sorry. I won't do that anymore. And I'd just be crying. And then I'd be like, okay, I just want to go to bed. Fall asleep. I'd try to fall asleep. As soon as I closed my eyes, he would try again. And I'd be like, no, no, I don't. I want to go to sleep all over again. Hours all night long until I'd have to wake up and see a mom all night long. And so, you know, and that's the part is that you know, like I just did where I was like, you know, sexual abuse that we're not, I'm not educated in all of the different forms of sexual abuse, but that is definitely one is using your, it's either you either have sex with me or I'm going to abuse you emotionally mm-hmm. and, and keep right. you up yeah. all night crying and yeah. then making you feel like it's mm-hmm. done to only start it over mm-hmm. again. It's the, I, it's the worst. And it was like, I'm not, it wasn't nightly, but it was all the time because I just did not want to anymore. I was like, I just, I'm barely hanging on just being in this house that I created, right? I decorated. I, and I think tried to make a home. Right. I think that you are so strong for standing your ground because there are a lot of women who just get so tired and are like, fine. That's what I would I've, I've I mean, done it. I've, I've done, done it. it. I've we been talked, there. And the reason, yeah, we yeah. talk about that, like how there just comes a point where you're just like, this would just be so much easier, easier if, if I, I just, just let it, it happen. Mm-hmm. Just let it happen. And it's my boyfriend. We have a kid together, you know, it's like you, you make these right. excuses, just let mm-hmm. it happen because then it'll be over. And even when you do just let it happen, and then it'll I can be sleep. over. It's only mm-hmm. over until the next time it happens. It's the only over time. until the exactly. next time. And so then I ended up, you know, it, things got really bad. And I, you know, a lot of this stuff is still like a blur when it was really bad of just like of me trying to disassociate and clear it from my brain. But it got really bad to the point where I did end up leaving. I called my friend and I was just like, I need to come. I need to get out of this house. I have to go. And I left. And then I was gone for like a month, I want to say. And he came back so strong, so full of like, I'm sorry, I believe you, like, or I love you. I won't let this happen again. I've learned. I won't, I'm not that person. I've done the work. I want you back. Like this was the worst mistake of my life. You know, all of the things that you get yeah. told that are not true. And then, so, and I, I, you know, and I don't like to, I'm not going to put myself down for going back because I feel bad when people put people no. down for going back. And it's no, a decision I made at that time. That's, and there was a lot of shame, you know, like there's shame around it, but I've worked through that of knowing like that was my journey in it and that's what I did and there's nothing I can do to change it to go back because it happened for a reason, which I'll get to. Um, but there, you know, it happens and you go back and then it, you know, it just, it didn't last very long. It was so bad. Um, 
you know, I, he was telling me like, or, uh, making me think, telling that I was cheating on him. I was cheating on him. And I wasn't the last thing I wanted. I was, I didn't want even anybody to touch me. I didn't men gross. Like I wanted nothing. Like I was not cheating on him at all. And, you know, come to find out that with this type of person, when they are doing something, they project that onto you and they make it so that you, yeah. and they convince themselves that you're the one doing it, not them. You're the one doing it. Yeah. Then to find out he's cheating on me with somebody while we were together, which is a huge violation of my body. Um, I'm a very protective yeah. person with my body. And he then again on another level violated my body. Um, and then, you know, and then after that just got bad, we were screaming, he kicked me and um, our son out of the house. Um, and then uh, that's when all the doors started getting broken, the chasing up the stairs. That's where the physical stuff started. And, um, the last night, cause I, I mean, I could talk about all of the nights, but that's like, that's not the point. The point is the after. And the last night I was laying, I came home, I went to get my stuff. We were done. We had already said, like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to leave. And I come home and I'm on the couch and I wasn't allowed upstairs. So me and my son fall asleep on the couch to him drinking a whole handle or fifth or whatever it was. I think it was crown Royal, if I remember correctly. And it's like three in the morning, I get woken up to him screaming and screaming at me and screaming at me. And he's like, you know, and I had no idea really what was going on at the time. And my son was on the couch at my legs and he was screaming at me. He took all of my stuff, told me he was bragging about how he took all of my things and that he was, and that the house was his and all this stuff. And I was like, I, I can't do this right now. And I went to grab my phone and I told him I was calling his mom because obviously I'm not going to tell him I'm calling the cops. I told him I was calling his mom mm, yeah. and that's where the struggle for the phone happened. And that was the probably the most, the single most scariest moment of my life was having someone's hands around my neck on top of me with my son underneath my legs because I was trying to protect mm. him because at this time he is two years old. And in that moment of like not knowing if he was going to let go, there was a split moment of two thoughts of, oh my gosh, like, I don't, you know, am I going to die? Like in it being in fear. And then the other split moment of was, it's finally going to be over. It's finally going to be over. I don't have to do this anymore. And, you know, (laughs) um, luckily that didn't happen. Um, but even just like having that thought of like, you know, like leaving my son and it was just in that moment, like, you know, you can't like, you don't get to control what you think when you're thinking you might die and only just die. But like at the hands of someone that was supposed to protect you, be the person that protected your family. And then not only did this to you, but did this in front of a two-year-old, a child that didn't deserve to see that. Yeah. Their two-year-old that did not deserve to almost watch their mother be killed by their father in front of them at two years old. So luckily that's not what happened. And that wasn't the end of the story, but I was able, he, he smashed my phone, smashed my computer, smashed the iPad, basically anything I could make call for help on. And he went upstairs, found his phone that had fallen out of his pocket. I slid it under the couch. I grabbed my son. I had no shoes on. There's broken glass everywhere. I run outside and I'm like, what am I doing? What am I going to do? 
what I don't know what to do. Um, holding a sleeping child, I have no shoes on. If I go back inside, I don't know what's going to happen. But what am I going to do? I don't even know where a police department is, where a phone is. I don't know anybody. I don't want to run into somebody's house at four in the morning. And I, you know, and the whole thing, I was screaming so loud. Nobody came. And we were like uh, condos attached to their condos. Yeah. And so it's like people hurt yeah. and did nothing. Yeah. So he ends up leaving because I, you know, gets in his car and leaves and I go grab his phone. And of course it has the lock on it. So all I could do is make an emergency call. And, um, the, while I'm trying to make an emergency call, somebody keeps calling and it's the girl that he was cheating on me with. And I'm like, I'm trying to call the cops. This is so frustrating. And finally answered. I'm like, Hey, oh I don't really care what's going on. I'm just letting you know that he just beat the shit out of me. And you should probably be careful because I'm assuming he's going to your house since you're calling him. And I was like, please don't call back. I'm trying to call the cops. And I hung up and I was like, so nice about it. You know, it's like, just so nice yeah, like this, yeah. Yeah. so nice yeah. if I really look back on it I was a very yeah, nice person in that moment and um <laughs> I finally called the cops and the cops take forever to get there they take forever to get there going yep. to find out yeah. they thought the call was for a kidnapping so it even pissed me off more that it took them forever to get there like my two-year you thought my two-year-old was what? kidnapped by yeah it took forever to get there the police station is 10 minutes away from where I was and once yep. they get there I have one cop that's just asking questions, taking pictures, and then I have a lady cop blaming me right at that moment. Yep. Your son didn't deserve this. You should leave a cop, somebody who was there protecting or supposed to, whatever, yeah. shaming me while I'm having photos taken of the bruises because my neck is black and blue, of going upstairs, of taking pictures to find that everything I owned was destroyed, everything. Even down to squeezing out all of my shampoo and conditioner into the tub. Oh my Destroyed God. everything I owned. And <clears throat> had a cop, a woman, a woman cop, who was like, probably like my grandma, if I had one, like a grandma age, who should have been, you know, no one asked me if I was okay. It was a total routine. Come in, get this done. Have a lady yell at me about being a shitty person because I just got abused. You know, that was the first thing that happened. I ended up, yeah. you know, cleaning up. I get all my stuff. I call a friend. They come and help me. I basically load the car and everything into what I could fit in the car. And um, and I never went back. And he got arrested. They went to his work and they arrested him. He got out that night. Um, the next morning, even with a restraining order, because I spent the day at a courthouse in Phoenix and then had to go down to serve him into the jail in downtown Phoenix. I uh, spent my whole day after that basically trying to get help and get somebody served just for him to get out that night. Uh, next morning I woke up to my car stolen from him. I called the detective. She didn't care. It was under his name, but it was like, I wasn't trying to say anything about the car. I was trying to say he came, I have a protection order. He came on property. He found me and he, and he found me by tracking the IP address to my computer. So tell me that that's not scary. And that they just didn't so care. Scary. From the beginning, no one cared. So, you know, yeah. uh, just broken. And I'm going to kind of fast forward through a little bit of this because it was just making, it was, it was making myself so busy and everything and um, just kind of ignoring what had happened and making excuses and drinking a lot. I drank a lot. And um, I, I, and I say that, but I still took care of my child. And I, I, you know, I, every single thing was about him. He was the reason I woke up every day. If I didn't have him, I wouldn't have woken up every day. 
I wouldn't have done it. So right. he was why I kept going. He was why I did everything I did. And, um, you know, we go through all of this through, um, he's using drugs and I know this and, you know, and I was trying to think of how do I not like punish my son for the things that his dad did to me, trying to think of every way around everything. And I was trying to allow visitized, visitized, <laughs> supervised visitation. <laughs> I was blending a supervised visitation with him, um, with his parents. And I would drive an hour to drop him off and an hour back home to then have to drive an hour back and an hour back home just for that. And he wouldn't show up. He never came. He didn't show up. And, um, then the drug use started getting worse and, Fast forward, you know, I'm healing, I'm going through my journey and it's messy. And this is this person who's going through rehabs, not getting sober, not getting sober, thoroughly using drugs, doing all these bad things. Um, and his court stuff keeps going on, keeps going on, keeps going on. We get into COVID. COVID keeps pushing everything on because now you can just say you have COVID and you don't have to show up to your court cases on a computer. Yeah. Because you can get COVID through a computer if you didn't know. Um, so you can, <laughs> you can prolong everything and push it and push it and push it and push it. Still pushing it, still pushing it and just wanting this to be over. And these people, the prosecutors, the victim, and I'm quoting, air quoting this, victims, advocates, everything. They yeah, only call you when they need something from you. They do not care. They do not care about what you no. went through. They do not care about helping you. They do not care about helping you find a safe place yeah. to be. They do not care about restraining orders. They do not care. And and maybe some of them want to care, but they are so overworked and so many cases to one person that they don't have the ability to actually care for the individual yeah. that needs help. They can they can suggest support groups, but you go to those and you want those are they're traumatizing because everybody's only sharing the visuals of what happened to them. There's no support. There's no right. what do I do from here? It's all let's just say in this moment and mm -hmm. I'll just talk about what happened. <sighs> over and over and over again. So we can all share and trauma bond and just traumatize ourselves over and over and over again. Over Even over. the Facebook Facebook groups for domestic violence, same thing. Everybody just talks or posts memes or it's all, it's not supportive. It's not in the solution. It does not help you move forward. It keeps you in one place and it keeps you in that place where you're the most vulnerable to be harmed again because you're not doing the work to heal. And um, can I, I ask almost a quick say, question? Yeah. Um, and what part of that story um, did you meet me? I know it was after something traumatic. Uh, you, it was, I think it was that summer. I just didn't so tell you because you were there you for you. Him. Yeah. But that was, that was the time that you left after he had mm -hmm. attacked you, correct? So meeting you was probably like I... only like a month or two after, I think. It was in the summer, wow. wasn't it? Yeah. And the end of May. summer. Oh yeah. No, it was, it was the May. Same, yeah. It was the same time. That's what, that's what time. I think I remember you saying was that something had just happened to you. Like, I feel like just maybe a week or two before. Yeah. It was the same time because this happened in the end of May. Very, very end of May. So we both had something at the same time and then we both came into each other's lives. Now, three years later, look at us sitting here talking. Look at us go. To, look at us go and trying to help people together. And I'm so grateful for you guys for That's doing right. this. That's right. Well, I'm grateful for you because you were such a big part of me when you needed, you know, your own support. So anyways, I just was curious where that fit into the story. Yeah. 
because I have never heard your full story. So, okay. So we are back at nobody gives a shit. (laughs) No, that's the never. You can always start there. Yeah, no one gives a shit. Hashtag no one gives a shit. Everything we talk about. Hashtag no one gives a shit. Hashtag Hashtag no one gives a shit. (laughs) Yeah. So then, you know, it's like people's. Yeah, like we're laughing about it because at some point you just have to because it's just so ridiculous. It's just so ridiculous that like you cannot get help for anything and no one gives a shit. They just it is it is ridiculous. And that's the thing that I kept trying to tell people that nobody believed me that when you call nine one one, it's not what you think. No. Mm -mm. (laughs) No. Like at all. You are not going to get the help the way that you think you're gonna get the help and the with the quickness and with the like empathy or fucking anything. You might as, most of the time, you might as well be talking to a robot. I know. On those yeah. things. I know. Like, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then, the, yeah. Yeah, just like, Isn't they, no one training gets, too? Don't they no go through training? Like, no You're one so, gives yeah. a shit. No one gives a shit. You go through the training to not give a shit. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. okay. Um, yeah, so back to the no one gives a shit. So this is this is the mm-hmm. this is what I really wanted to talk about, right? So this is no one gives a shit. There's no stopping it, right? Because he's still out there. He's still yeah. continuing to do the same things that he's doing cuz there's no consequences for his actions. Almost a year to the date later, maybe a month off. He I get I see on the news that someone and by someone, him hit a woman with his car outside of the QT abandoned the car at a Denny's and then they picked him up at a uh, casino. So this was on the news, like for um, a different county because it wasn't in the same county, but in the same state. And, and, and that's, this is the problem. Okay. If there were consequences for his actions from what had happened to me, that would not have happened to Uh that woman, regardless of whatever Mm -hmm. the circumstances were surrounding it, regardless of drugs being involved, whatever, he again hurt another woman. Again. Yeah. There was no consequences for his actions. Nothing happened to him. He continued to live his life the way he was living. And within another year, he hurt another woman. Then within another year, gets a two DUIs. Okay. So once a year, since mm-hmm. he has, since he almost tried to kill me, he the next year almost killed another woman. Then the year after could have killed multiple people by driving under the influence of alcohol and drugs because of the no consequences. They did nothing. Because they did nothing. They pushed it through. They prolonged it. They let it keep going and going and going. He did not get, so he pled guilty for, to a plea bargain for a plea bargain. Okay. Pled guilty. And he got sentenced in February of this year. That's how long it took. Okay. But what did he get sentenced with? Probation. Probation. Oh my gosh. Okay. Probation. So, all right. I get told it's domestic violence probation. So it's super intense. There's surveillance, everything, blah, 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 all this stuff. Then I hear nothing else. I get told to send a mail, a little letter, because people mail stuff still. I have to get stamps and mail letters to four different police departments and, and agencies within the state to be kept up to date on his proceedings or whatever. And Jeez. so then he, um, you know, of course, you know, can't do it. He messes up on probation, got, you know, the, the DUI was on probation. 
and yeah. messes up on that. And I get a call to get asked questions again. And I'm like, when is he, when are you just going to arrest him? I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of this. And I get told, well, we're going to put a warrant out for his arrest, blah, 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 this, that, this, that, this, that, all bullshit. Because now he has about three warrants out for his arrest since August, and he is still not in trouble. Still not in trouble. And so uh, December of this past year, when I thought it was going to be over, I wrote a bunch of stuff. I held stuff. I was going to go walk up to the top of this mountain, and I was waiting to hear the words, it's over, blah, 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 blah. And that didn't happen. And that happened to me so many times. And that's the worst thing that can happen to somebody who is going through this is to have this hope that it's going to be over to be consistently just let down over and over and over and over again. And at that moment, I was like, you know what? Me basing my ability to be okay on the final outcome of his life Mm -hmm. is no longer acceptable because he's still in that way has control and power over me and the way I live my life today. And I still I now feel like I mean you should say that again to yeah everyone that's else. That's really powerful. Yeah, basing my decision to be okay on the final outcome of his life is no longer acceptable. It is no longer yes. acceptable for me and it should no longer be acceptable to women who have been through this because we get out of these situations and we get away. That's not the end. And people think like, oh, good job, you got out, you're a survivor. No, fuck right. that. I am surviving every single right, fucking right. day. Right. Like, no, it's not over. It's not done. Like, I don't care how strong you think I am. I have my days. I just spent months thinking about all the manipulative things he could do to try and take my child away from me and being afraid that he was going to find me, feeling afraid every time somebody walks up my steps outside my door to my apartment that it's him, yeah. the fear that never yeah. leaves. And even now that I'm stronger and farther away from it, I still have that fear every single day. Like what I have, and it's not just me I have to protect. I have to protect myself my whole life. I'm good at that. But I have a child that I need to protect right. who is more important. You know, yeah. he's the most important. He deserves to live this. Not only that, but I have a child with autism that I need to protect. Like he has enough, like he's been through enough in his life and is already going to have a harder, more beautiful life's going to be beautiful, but it is going to be more challenging as is. And he doesn't need inconsistency Mm -hmm. and negative people and people who talk badly and all of that around him. And, you know, and you know, and I'm not going to say I don't have hope that maybe one day somebody can change because I've seen it, but I, it's, I, you know, and it's like that little bit that you just hold on to, but as the years go yeah. on, it's like, it's getting to the point. It's not, it's not even going to be my decision because I won't lie to my child. I made that, I made that decision when I became a parent is that I'm not going to lie to him. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to. Mm-hmm. Amen. And to obviously that, age appropriate, age appropriate ways of explaining right. things. Sure. But as they get sure. older, being able to elaborate it so that they can't come back when they're 18 and be like, you know, it's almost like we don't give our kids enough credit to be able to understand and handle that bad thing yes. happen. And when we want to keep them in this fantasy land and they grow up and something bad happens for the first time, it's their first experience with it. They don't understand, but that's life. You you have to have the bad to have the good. And you, and then you start to build your children to believe that even though bad things happen, we rise, we get up, we pick ourselves up and we overcome that. So bad things are going to continue to happen through our whole life, but we get up and we keep going instead of just being like, Oh, you know, I mean like, what are the, what are the options? Oh, you're, you're, person that was supposed to be your dad loved drugs over you your person over your dad like all of these are true like 
I'm not lying yeah. and I'm not going to do that to him. So right. when the time comes and I mm-hmm. get asked, but at the time he's four, he doesn't, you know, I've been his only for his whole life and he doesn't ask those questions, but one right. day they'll come up and I'll, that'll be another conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that's, that's the thing is that for the rest of my life, until somebody does something, no matter how strong or how much healing I do, I'm still have to carry on that fear because people, and I'll just say it, people get, go to jail for having a joint in their car. Right. But this person's committed like, felony after felony after felony after felony yes. and is still living their <laughs> yes. life. I don't understand. He is clearly, clearly 100% without a doubt, a danger to society. The guy who had a joint in his car was going to go get some Cheez-Its. Leave him alone. Right. Do right, your right. job. Do your job. Do your yes. fucking jobs. Do your jobs. Yeah. Because more and more women yeah. are dying. And not just women. I'm not going to make this. It's a men. Males too. This happens on both ends. It's just more. I think more women start to talk about it because there's more shame in it for men. But this happens yeah. every single day. More and more people are getting abused. And you know what? Not everybody makes it out. Some people's kids yep. do watch their parents die, their or their mother or their father be killed by their other parent. This happens every single day, and it's not over when you get out. It's not. It's not over. It carries around. You carry it with the you message. for forever. Yeah, it's to not. Make sure and it, that people understand it's not over because you got out. No, no. And then you, it affects you, know, you, you won, for the rest but you of only your life. Part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a part that you're always, and it's coming to the terms, but there's a part that I think the hardest thing that I had to realize through it was that I have been broken a million times before throughout my life. But this with the emotional abuse and everything that was blended in together and then the timing with a child and everything, I, I wasn't broken. I allowed some, or somebody broke my soul. It wasn't my heart. It wasn't a part of my body. It was my complete and utter soul of my understanding of who I was. And I had Mm -hmm. to relearn and redevelop. And then you have all the things on the back of your head where you're like, get excited about something. And you're like, people are going to hate it. It's stupid. I don't want to do it. Yep. Yep. Because you were told that for so long. And that could become from Mm -hmm. when you're a child, when you're people telling you that growing up. But then as an adult too, like that person, you, you, it's, it's like when you talk, when they say you can talk to plants and you tell plants, you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful, mm-hmm. you're, you're thriving. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it does, it's scientifically proven that it'll help them right. grow. So you mm-hmm. spend years with somebody belittling you and putting you down and smashing you into the ground. Yeah. And when you're, you're at yes. your lowest, then making sure that they push you even further down. And that breaking of the soul is something that I can't even describe. And you have to have been through it to be able to understand it. But it's yeah. the hardest thing to come back through because you are dead inside. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. You are dead inside. Right. And then you have to navigate life in circumstances, situations, conversations, people, places, things with all of that trauma. And you don't can't trust anyone. You don't believe anything anybody says. Mm-mm. You don't feel safe in situations. You you have isolated for so long. And then you're in in a way you're in hiding for a while. Uh, and, and then you don't know how you don't know how you don't know how to do this. And then one day you just like. If I continue living like this, this isn't a life. I didn't make it this far. I didn't get through this. And this isn't to, to live like this. And I also don't want to show my son that it's okay to live like this. So we get up. And maybe for a while, that looked like me being so busy, I couldn't even think. And that worked for a yeah. while. And that was fine. And then you get to a point where everything stops working, right? Because it's a mask. 
So then you actually have to start doing the work and looking at it because everything he did stemmed from something that happened to me in my childhood. So it all goes back, right? So we have to heal that. And then we work on that. And that's through affirmations. Like you were told, you're ugly, you're fat. And that's there. I heard that 365 times. I need to tell myself I'm beautiful and I'm amazing and I can do anything I want to do 700 times. Because Mm -hmm. you have to rewire your entire brain. Right. Mm-hmm. because it's been so scrambled because that's what they want. They want your brain scrambled so you can't think for yourself. You don't know what's going mm-hmm. on. You're in a constant state of illusion. Anything that people are telling you is true because you don't know how to trust your own decisions. You don't know how to trust mm-hmm. yourself. You're like second guessing every single thing. And then I took a year off. This is this is the other part of it that I think people don't talk about. I didn't date anyone. I read all this stuff that was like, even after divorce, broken relationship, after you, anything for your child, mm-hmm. you don't do that for a year. Then after uh, something like that, you need time to heal. So don't, you know, don't look for seeking validation from anyone for that year. You have to find it within yourself. So for mm-hmm. a year, I didn't talk to men. I didn't look at men. I actually hated men, to be honest. And mm-hmm. hated yeah. them the whole species and, or whatever and um mm-hmm. then you know at that year mark I was like okay and something switched where I was like oh my god now I'm a crazy person and I went and made some mistakes okay I you know and I was seeking something like okay I made it this year I did mm-hmm. it now now I just want somebody to love me but I didn't know how to let somebody love me so it turned into being set semi-promiscuous and just kind of being, I was seeking validation. I Mm -hmm. needed the validation to feel okay about myself. And then you, when you, and then I realized that and was like, okay, you know what? Don't send nudes to people. Don't do this. Like these, all these things that I do and I'm open with it. Like people do this. Like, and I'm like, I just giving my, again, giving myself to these men that don't deserve me. They aren't doing anything to deserve everything that I am. And I'm fucking awesome. So I can't do that anymore. When I started talking to someone that I thought I was like, you know, I think that this is something or whatever we're dating or not dating, whatever you want to call it. This generation ruined everything. So I don't even know what these things are anymore. <laughs> and the, but the, the problem when you start dating is that when they do the bare minimum, you think it's everything. <laughs> Yeah. You think it's everything. God, this person, like, oh, they're amazing. I've been waiting for this. They didn't yell at me today. Yeah, they Mm -hmm. didn't yell at me today. They asked me how my day was. Bare freaking minimum of being a nice, like, yes, because, you know, some people can be nice and you're just, it's not meant to be or whatever. But that niceness Mm -hmm. was like, oh, holy shit, I got to hold on to this. You know, right, and right. and mm-hmm. so you were like, okay, I finally have it. I was like, oh, you know, this is like, this feels nice. I have somebody that's not abusing me, not hitting me, not screaming at me, not putting me down. I enjoy my time with them. I'm having a good time. I feel connected, and I feel like, you know, and there wasn't this like immense like love bombing or or you know intermeshing. Everything was so slow, and 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 and, and it, it it was safe. Mm-hmm. But you think that it's everything and it's going to be everything and it's not. So then when it's not, because you are so blinded by the fact that you can't, that something amazing is happening and you found this person that treats you nice and then it falls apart, it's so hard. And I just went through that like six months ago. It's so hard. And now that I'm so far away, farther away from it, I look back and I was like, wow, that was such a good lesson. That I am worth so much more than the bare minimum and the bare minimum just because it's more than the abuse is not enough. 
It's not enough. And if I think that that's all I deserve, then that's all I'm going to attract. I deserve the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. I deserve somebody. And I'll, I'm a, I just going to worship the ground I walk on to be there right. for me, to support me in everything that I do and create a partnership where we support each other and we call each other out on shit. And like these things that I have had to learn through reading and really yeah. going in and thinking about what do I see in myself that makes me like myself? And then looking for that in someone else, instead of just looking for someone to love me because that's not working. And, right. and not to say like I'm out there actively looking cause I'm not, I have so much stuff on my plate and I'm still healing and each day is a different level. You don't level. want our listeners to call you up. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, you can, you, you can awesome. hit me. What's her name? Like, this, I'm all- this girl, Kelsey is the fucking shit. Like <laughs> yes. if we, if we vet them, maybe. Yes. Maybe. I was like, I'm open, but I want more than the bare minimum. Okay. So that's like, I yes. want, I have, I know what I want and I know what I'm looking for and I know what I'm worth now, which is something that I learned from that relationship. So, so and to know, and to learn that not just because somebody's nice doesn't mean that they're everything. And this doesn't mean that they're, mm-hmm. that's who you need to be with or who you want to share your life with. Mm-hmm. And more than likely when you look back at it, you're probably like, yeah, you know, maybe that was, <laughs> you know, not the best idea. Um, but at the yeah. time it did also show me that I can be treated nicely by someone, regardless of maybe the it ending in a, in a way that I was hurt, that I got hurt. That's fine. I learned that I can, eventually I can date someone. I eventually can meet yeah. someone who's not going to treat me like shit, who's going to see me for who yeah. I am. And then holding on to that, not necessarily seeking that out, but if it comes being open to it, I could talk forever on these things and like things of like how, like how to continue like moving forward and everything, but everything is just such a, it's a learning, it's a trial and error. And it's, and and I think the bottom line, the most important thing is like allowing yourself the ability to learn to trust yourself again, because through everything you lose that you lose the ability to trust Mm -hmm. yourself. And if you can't trust yourself, you're not going to be able to trust anyone. Just like if you can't love yourself, you can't choose to love everyone or you won't be able to love anyone else. And, um, and for Mm -hmm. me, it's just like, I was so afraid to be able to like, start talking about this. Like I, I was, I didn't share on Instagram. I didn't share on social media. Um, I didn't, I didn't do these things because I, I had guilt, you know, and I had my own shame. And then like we were talking about earlier, I felt guilty talking about him, but it's not about him. It's about me and what I went mm-hmm. through and like my right. journey and, and, um, and just, if I don't stand up and talk, then no one stands up and talks. And I think that's important for everything, like anything that's important, anything you feel strongly about. Like if you, if you feel something, then talk about it because we need more people to stand up and talk about this. Because I know when I was going through it or even today, I don't know anyone that understands that actually understands Like you could be like, Oh, I understand. No, you don't. You don't, you don't understand what it feels like to be completely destroyed in that way. Maybe you've been destroyed, but not like that. And everybody's is, is a uh, different yeah. circumstance. And, and I feel like there's just so much judgment that doesn't allow people to be loved through the process. Somebody goes back five times, shut up, do not say anything. Cause you don't understand back yeah. end. Like, yeah, I was, no if my, club, I was right? being told that I was, if I tried to let leave that I didn't have any money, my person had money and they were going to take my son. You don't know what's being said behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. You don't. You have no idea the type of abuse that's going on behind the closed doors. And you can't show that judgment to people because then people stay and they don't get the help and then they end up dead. And that's bottom line. People are dying. 
dying and people are losing their moms and losing their dads. And sometimes the domestic violence doesn't end with the spouse. Doesn't end with the spouse. The average it takes the average times that it takes for someone to leave a um, a domestic violence situation yeah. is eleven, eleven and times. Wow! And, and imagine that that a lot of those times aren't going to be close together. So if you think about the amount of years that people can spend in a situation like that, um, it's devastating, and and no one has any right to judge whatsoever. Just for where we're at now. One, do you know where he is and is there anything going on legally? And two, I know, probably know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyways, is he paying you child support? I know. Uh, I know. Couple questions. Yeah. So, um, no, I don't know where he is and I'm assuming nobody does because he has, um, in all three of the charges that are on his case right now, it's just this public record. I actually research this stuff myself because no one feels the need to keep me in the loop. So I just started yeah, like, doing no, my mm-hmm. own research, even though people are supposed to reach out and tell me. Um, but everything's mm-hmm. public knowledge. You can look up case. Anyone can look up anyone's cases online. Um, and if you need help doing that, let me know. I'll help you. Um, he has three warrants out for his arrest, but I mean, it's October now oh. we're in August. So it's okay. just still a waiting game of when, you know, if anything, but I kind of tried to let go of that. Like I the last time his probation officer yeah. called me, I was like, please don't call me again until he's in jail or prison. I was like, I don't need this anymore. Um, And then at the very beginning, he was giving his mom money to give me. And then I found out that he was selling drugs. And I said, I don't want that. I don't want any of the money. I don't need you. I don't need your money. And and so I haven't taken a single cent or been received a single cent from him in the whole time. There was a couple months that he had sent me money. And that wasn't even out of the, let me send you money. It was like, I got to do my, his lawyer probably told him to do that. So when he wanted to fight me for custody, but I stopped accepting it. So Mm -hmm. so I don't need money of possibly selling drugs that kills someone. And then I have the money in my bank account from it. I don't want that. And I don't need it. Right. I take care of myself, take care Mm -hmm. of my child, myself. I don't need your money. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's like an empowering part too. It's like, yeah. But that's where I lucked out is that I had someone that was able to that day allow me and my son to move into their house. Now imagine somebody leaving and not because these shelters are yeah. full. Shelters only last so long. There is no one. This is like my dream. I want to find, I want to create a nonprofit mm-hmm. that not only helps people get out of these situations and offers them support after or even in it secretly if it needs to be with no judgment, mm-hmm. but gets out of the house and then stays. These women need someone to stay, to stay, to mm-hmm. under, to listen, to help them get into a house, to help them get a bed, to help them get pots and pans, clothes, basic necessities that they don't have yeah. because they left in the clothes they were wearing. They have nothing. They have no money because they were never allowed to control the money. Maybe they saved a couple mm-hmm. 20s here and there, but they have nothing. They need help. They need help after. It's not just about getting out. And so that's the eventual goal of when I have time to be able to figure out how to do all of this. I want to re, I want to give homes and safety to people. I want to be able to give them a home, not just like, here's a shelter where you can be in the worst part Mm -hmm. and most traumatized part of your life with no support, just to be able to have a roof over your head. They need more. We need more. We, everyone does. We need more support, more help. And we're not getting it from the system. Mm -hmm. The system does nothing system does nothing in all areas of everything 
but are really in this. So many women would be alive if there were consequences for the actions, but it's our fault. Yeah. We yeah. deserved it. We're lying. And we agree with the men. Mm-hmm. And we can go back to the Gabby case that's been all over TikTok. The Gabby Petito You watch case. that body cam footage and tell me that woman is not mm-hmm. traumatized. While he's yeah. over there fist bumping the police officers. Watch that. And that tells you everything you need to know. Because when I watched it, it's I was disgusting. pissed. I was pissed. And now that girl is dead. She's not coming back. Her family will never see her again. She was in her early 20s and she doesn't get to live her life. There were cops involved right. before that happened. And they got, they mm-hmm. fist bumped the murderer. Well, yep. she was hysterical in the that car. Part. Go on yeah. YouTube. It's on there. You got to find it. And, it hasn't been taken and down. And she is portrayed as the like crazy, the crazy one. Person. Like, yes. It's, because they make us crazy. Put out there. And we yeah, don't know how to communicate exactly. anymore. So we do. We sound it's crazy. The, when I would yeah. lose it, I was yes. batshit crazy. Mm-hmm. But because of yes. the emotional abuse, it has nothing to do with my brain. Yes. It is what was done to my brain. But it's my fault. Mm-hmm. I'm insane. No one's right. going to believe me. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no bruises on yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think yeah. that's the well, main thing. it's just thing your word is, against his. Yeah. And sometimes and that, for whatever reason, for as a woman, reason, a man's always, word means exactly. more. Yep. I don't know why. For some I wish for, reason, every time. Every time. And it's not fair. And a lot of these things aren't fair. And that's why we need more people to do stuff like this. Just share the story. It's scary. Yeah. I'm, you know, it's scary. It is. It is scary. But find yeah. a place. I mean, it that's why mean. I reached out to you guys. I was like, listen, I need an outlet that's not mine. Like yes. necessarily, yes. you know. Right, I need right. somewhere where mm-hmm. it's not just me going live on Instagram or something, because mm-hmm. even if this helps one person, even just to hear it, it helps. Then that's all that matters. You know, yes. like when you guys, yeah. uh, you know, like you can give my social media stuff too. if anyone needs anything like to talk, oh, yeah. like yeah, I'm please. here, like I would rather we'll listen to you that. talk about all of this than to hear something else to hear that that person hear is no longer a, here. Yeah. The story that, someone exactly exactly every single time i hear something in the news see something on tv something on tiktok because now i will say that about tiktok it is bringing light to a lot more things people are speaking it really is is. and you know and i hate social media for just for my own reasons but tiktok thank god because people are talking about it and that's what matters and it's about all the issues but i've seen so much people talk Mm -hmm. about domestic violence getting through it finding love afterwards and people need to see that because getting out isn't the end Mm -hmm. and being in it isn't the end your life goes on and beautiful things happen in the last two years i went from absolutely nothing literally nothing because all i could fit in my car was my son's stuff and that mattered more i have my own apartment i opened my own yoga studio i'm a director of a training company i have private clients i share my gifts with people i teach yoga i have beautiful friends i still struggle every Mm. single day some days i don't want to get out of bed but i do i get up and i have a life today and maybe it's not yeah. exactly where I want it to be, but it's on the direction. So it is possible. You don't, sure. your darkest moment doesn't last forever as long as you do the work and you mm-hmm. stand up for something and, and help someone else. Like that's something too. It's just like the more you help other people with your story, the more mm-hmm. it does for you. Like you're helping someone else, but if you're being real honest with yourself, you're actually helping yourself more than you're helping somebody yes. else. hundred percent. That's just, that's, and that's how the world should work. If we all just helped each other, we would feel good. They would feel good. <laughs> We could stop yeah. more, but that's part of it. You know, it's, there's because light in the dark. Here's the thing with 
um, I'm not sure what your hatred is, but like I have the same, but with social media, let's just say I didn't know you and I only knew you through yoga, Mm -hmm. which is possible had we not had this divine intervention in Arizona. Um, I would just think you, I would just be so fucking jealous of your life. And I would think it's just beautiful and perfect. And like, right. Like, you know, like you're so like fucking evolved and you like really like, you're so much further than me. And this is what people are thinking. I'm sure of like all of our accounts. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And by doing the podcast and telling our stories and you being brave enough to come on here, it's saying, no, no, no. Like that's part of it. Sure. That's the healing part, but there's a fucking shit behind that. And like, let me tell you about shit. Yeah. So if you're in the shit, like I was there too, I'm still there. Like, let's talk that sort of thing. Yeah. Because it is. I mean, that's what social media is. It makes it gives you the ability to make your life look like something it's not. And that's why like with, with my old one, um, before it got stolen or whatever, shut down for whatever reason, I was super honest about stuff on there. Be like, Hey, look, like there was one post on my last account that like, I had like 1500 people reach out to me and be like, please don't kill yourself. And I'm like, this is the freaking problem. People get honest on here. And I'm like, listen, if I was going to kill myself, I wouldn't have posted it on Instagram. I'm trying to help people yeah. bringing awareness right. to the fact that life right. isn't that beautiful. But for some reason we look at, we need the beauty in it. And it's like, no, just be raw. Like just it's life. Like my life, maybe if <laughs> yeah. you look at my tiles on Instagram, they're like me doing yoga, a couple of my friends and me and my son. Yeah. Those are happy moments. But like, really, if you under all of that is still this like hurt, broken person that did a lot of work to be able to have pictures where they're smiling in them because there is a time where yeah. there wasn't. Right. There right. was a long time where there wasn't a picture I, with a smile in it. Uh, yeah, I encourage everybody who's listening right now is to to and and I'm talking to myself and to Amy too, is to um uncurate your social media feed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It is a beautiful curation of all of the highlights of your life and which I think was the initial intention that and to keep, you know, be able to keep in touch with people that you aren't necessarily in close proximity to. Um, so I think that what's happening is that there's so much depression and there's so much depression and suicidal ideation and suicide attempts in these younger and younger and younger ages because they're in this social media age where they look at this these lives of people mm-hmm. and say, my life is nothing like that. It is so far from that. And so it must not be worth anything. So I think we need to just, and it doesn't have to be in a, a, a grid of raw tears every single time, but just toss in a real moment there every once in a while. So people just know that you're, you're a human yeah, <laughs> and that you're, you know, we can all relate to one another. Yeah, but I also help in your own healing. Yes. Because mm-hmm. we all know that everyone's healing for something that from something that they don't talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I spent six months not. Ta- I didn't tell. I, I told like a couple of my close friends and like people I worked with knew because it was clearly obvious. But I didn't tell. I didn't talk about this for a long time. And then I, you know, slowly started telling other people. And then you know, slowly got more comfortable with it. And then now this is my first time actually just like saying half that stuff I said mm-hmm. on this is the first time I've said it maybe outside of therapy you know, and, and it's part of it. It's hard and it's scary, but we do this to allow people to know they're not alone because my emotions is what somebody else is feeling and knowing that Mm -hmm. you can feel that way and having something to show you when you don't have the ability to show yourself that it does get better. And I have bad days. I have good days. I have really, really, really shitty days. 
but I have good days. I have yeah. good days and I get to I think, share my life. Yeah. And I think that where you're at now, let's just say some woman is some or man is, has their earbuds in and they're at their house in this cycle of abuse. And they're like, this is where I can be. It's possible in a year or two years if I leave. But what you're doing is you're being super honest about the fact that it's fucking awful. I met with a woman who had just lost her husband and I said, yes, I am standing here today and I have a beautiful life, but it's fucking awful getting here. Like letting people know like, yes, we're still standing, but the truth is it was no picnic getting here. And, and I think that when you're real about that, that's like, you know, somebody saying like, oh, you're going to get sober and everything's great. Or you're going to find Jesus and everything's great. No, fuck. No. Like it's all still going to be difficult. And so being honest about that, but knowing that there's a better place to be. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like yeah. it does. It and does. I, I just, to say to that, I got out 19 years ago. 19 years ago. And as you're telling your story, I am physically rattling, like shaking and I can't make it stop. <laughs> it, it's, it's in your body. It's in your body. It's not, it hasn't body. left. When I get and triggered, it, and, and it's and not so, always up in yeah. my head anymore. It's just yeah. because no, my head no, I've worked yes. on. Your body's not yes. going to forget. Yeah. It's not going to forget. Anything. I'm not crying. So, I'm not like, you know, it's not this like emotional response. I'm having, I'm having a physical response and I've actually been like swallowing down bile. Like I'm trying not to vomit. Yeah. And yeah. it's so it's, yeah. Like it's not, it's leaving does not make it all go away. No. Is what no. I think that yeah. the, the, the thing is that's your first step. And it if almost, we had a system that helped us step by step by step, it might be less traumatic. I don't know, less like forever yeah. taking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I just fucking like hate the system. I fucking hate awful. it. Because then the people that continue to suffer when the person that's doing this should be, they should be locked away. The person that got hurt should be the one that should be safe, right? Like, think of you. Sure. If you, if you murder someone, you're going to prison. Like, you murdered someone. Yeah. Why is that any different than this? Like, you murdered my soul. You tried to murder <laughs> right. me. Why are you not? I was going to in- say he tried to murder you. Yeah. Right. And the actual charge was... um it was, what was it? It was like a assault or aggravated assault with impending breathing. And when I, the one thing that I will what? say this, I impending will, yeah, breathing. impending breathing. So I will what? say this one thing was that there was one person through this whole ordeal that was so kind of considerate. And it was the woman because like afterwards you have to go and do like, um, where you basically have to get naked and they take pictures of everything, which is just, yeah. you know, so traumatizing. Again, as violating. Yeah, mm-hmm. super violating. And they have to take pictures. Not only are they taking pictures, but they're measuring everything too with some like cold silver ruler. And it's just, it's, it's so hard. And she was so kind through the whole process. And she was the one person that was nice. And it was a forensic nurse. And she was so kind. But the one thing that she said that stuck with me, which is I think it is the most important thing that I've heard through the whole thing, that if you're in a domestic violence situation and that person puts their hands around your neck and does not kill you, if you go back, there's a 75% chance the next time they will. Yeah. 75% wow. chance. 
Wow. And I was like, and if I'm not mistaken, if you're impending somebody's breathing, I'm pretty sure death. that that's you death. need breath to live. So I'm not sure how that's not attempted murder. Like impending breathing is such the privileged white boy charge for attempted murder. 100%. It really is. Isn't that love? Isn't that funny? I think that like the little details that you're telling Kelsey are the things that need to be shared. I mean, everything obviously, but like, yeah. you don't realize I just went through this with my family member where they measure the fucking bruise. Like you said, with this cold ass, it's so like demeaning because they have to measure it this way and then they have to measure it that way. And then this and that, and it's just a very, it's a process that's obviously like necessary, but you don't think these are all the things you don't think about. Mm-mm. Yeah. When you think like, Oh, they got out. They're alive. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, they won. Sort of. <laughs> right. Yeah. They won. They uh, won. Yeah. You're fine now. And, right. God, just move on. Yeah, it, I think that's the same. I think that that message is so it's, it's passed through every single traumatic experience that someone can go through. Mm-hmm. It's over. Move yes. on. You've won. Yes. You're here. Life you're well. here. At least you're here. Hey, that where they're like, at least you're breathing. I'm like, is it? At least I'm breathing. But yeah, my because am I, it's am I painful to breathe. Like suffocating. Yeah, yeah. It's yes. like, how do you feel? Like, put your head underwater and try not to breathe mm-hmm. for your whole life because that's how I feel yep. all the time. Yes, and I think that people just, just you know, they don't understand. And 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 that's part. That was part of my healing journey was just being able to understand that people don't understand, and then being grateful yes. for them that they don't understand. Be grateful yes. that you don't wow. have to understand. When I don't understand somebody's pain, I'm grateful that I didn't, I haven't, that's one of them that I haven't been touched by, you know? And right, so it's like, right. um, and it's just like one of those things though that you just want to scream. Like a part of it was like, I just wanted to scream and like tell everybody how shitty of a person he was. And that's what was going to make me feel better. But yeah. at the moment I was like, it's still giving him attention. I'm not going to yep. talk about him. I'm not going to share mm-hmm. my stuff everything Mm -hmm. with our group of friends like I know what happened what he's telling people happened could be different I'm sure I heard he was telling people that I just took his child away from him and I was the bitch whatever it doesn't matter I know what happened doesn't matter I know exactly and and that's all that matters and it's like Mm -hmm. yeah I know what happened my truth that I worked really hard to get to because for a long time your brain's so messed up you can't trust your own Mm -hmm. memories because you can't do that's how yes. the gaslighting comes oh into God, all of it yeah. because they gaslight the crap out of you. So then you don't even know mm-hmm. what is real. Yeah. Like, did I say What's that? What's true. Right. Oh, like, did I say that? Right. Did I not? Did, did I not do that? Did I not clean the kitchen? Mm-hmm. Right. And like, by the end of it all, you constant. feel like it's your fault somehow. Yep. It's your <laughs> yeah. fault. You're like, yeah, you're right. You caused this. Mm-hmm. I did I this to myself. Actually, he mm-hmm. told the, he told the police when he got arrested that I did it to myself. So it is a term that mm-hmm. is used quite frequently. I bit myself on my back. I strangled myself. So I'm pretty yep. talented mm-hmm. if you didn't mm-hmm. know. Yes. I mean, you do do yoga, Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> I can also turn my head all the way around on my neck. It's not a big deal. All the I way know. around. Total exercise All the way style. around. Yes. But, and, and that's the thing. Those things made me angry, but it's who yeah. he is. It's who he is. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to let him control, and I'll say this because it's not like I'm perfect at it, but I had to stop letting him control my ability to be okay after, because it's like the voice in your head, still that voice. It's his, it's not mine. It's his. And I have bad days with it, but I'm getting much better at being like, 
get the fuck out. <laughs> yep. Get out. Yes. But some yes. days I still hear mm-hmm. his voice, still see his ca- uh, uh, his kind of car on the road and have a moment of like, oh my God, like paralyzed. Panic. Um, those right. things never go away. Like, you know, matter. And there's a lot of those brand of cars out there. Like, and it happens every time, but I'm aware of why mm-hmm. it's happening. It's not just mm-hmm. like this constant, I'm so confused. I don't know what's going on. My brain got scrambled mm-hmm. by an egg beater basically. And it gets better. Mm-hmm. You just have to keep trying to get better. You have to keep healing. You have to keep yes. doing the work. You have to reach out. You got to help other right. people. Right. And you have to be okay with being alone. A lot of the healing is yes. from being alone. Yeah, and I'm talking friends, mm-hmm. talking anything. Mm-hmm. Just you need to be okay with being alone and getting through yeah. that first. That's the hardest part is just be alone. Right. Without right. being forced Absolutely. to be alone. Cause it's a difference. It's empowering when you're making the choice. I'm taking mm-hmm. the time to myself to be alone rather than I'm yes. being forced to be alone. It's my choice. Today I get to make choices. I get to have a choice in how I live my life and what I do and mm-hmm. what I say and what I eat, what my son does, my choice mm-hmm. and mine alone. Mm-hmm. No one else gets to dictate yeah. that. Right. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for the privilege of um, getting to hear your perspective on this. And I'm so thankful that you've been able to grow and evolve so far and deeply and it's so hard to believe you're 31 right now i know you are you i told you i'm 131 a lives i have yes, 131 yes. miss kelsey yes, yes. you are yep. i feel so honored that you decided to share your story with us mm-hmm. um especially since it's like the first time you shared it and sarah and i make it very clear that we think that stories heal and i know there are there's many people that are going to hear this story and it's going to touch them in whatever part of the journey they're on mm-hmm. in this sort of situation. And it's also going to give people who have no fucking clue what that, what it was even yeah. some perspective. Right. Right. And it's a beautiful thing that you did. And we are just so happy that you shared it with us and with um, our audience. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank, thank you. you. I appreciate so thank you, you guys so much. giving me a platform to feel safe enough to do that with two people that I care about and yes. love. So thank you guys as well. We appreciate both of you. We love you so much. Yes, we love you. This episode was brought to you by Sarah Simone and Amy Baumgartner. Theme song and other music provided by Epidemic Sound. Editing and production by Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this, join our fan club at patreon.com slash unqualified therapists inc follow us on instagram where you'll find our link tree to all things here at the ut if you have a story to tell or a topic you'd like us to discuss email us at unqualified therapists at gmail.com we love to hear from you until next week warriors hold on we're gonna make it Mm -hmm.